This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 110, entitled Son of Man Christology in the Gospel of John, Part 3. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start the important conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. And it is about the humanity of Jesus that we are continuing to study in this ongoing series dealing with the Son of Man in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is our third part in our series looking at the Gospel of John in particular. So we're asking, what does the title Son of Man mean in the Gospel of John? And we have a very interesting passage today out of John chapter 6. Thank you so much for joining us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. As we continue our study of how the Gospel of John understands Jesus as the Son of Man, we arrive at John chapter 6, where Jesus claims to be the bread of life that has come down out of heaven. However, the narrative is framed around Jesus as the Son of Man. And that authorized human being reveals the will of the one true God, the one we know as the Father. So I'm curious to know, how can we take seriously the insistence that Jesus is the human one, the Son of Man, while also admitting that he is depicted in our passage, in some sense, as having come down from heaven? What does it mean that the human being has come down out of heaven in the Gospel of John? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is entitled, The Emphasis on the Full Humanity of the Son of Man. We're going to read a large section out of John chapter 6. I will start in verse 48, and I think we'll go all the way to verse 58. So this is Jesus speaking. John chapter 6, verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. That's John chapter 6, verses 48 through 58. In this section, the Gospel of John portrays Jesus as the bread of life, which has truly come from God. The typology at play sees, on one hand, the manna from heaven that God gave to the fathers, the ancestors, in the wilderness experience, and the flesh of the Son of Man, on the other hand. While those Israelites who consumed the manna in the wilderness died naturally, those who partake of this new bread of life will live forever. So this new bread, this new manna of life, supersedes the manna from the wilderness narratives as depicted in the Pentateuch. Furthermore, Jesus is portrayed as describing the act of eating this bread of life as a symbolic act that has clear Eucharistic overtones. Both of these points deserve some comment. So first, let's talk about the symbolic act of partaking in the meal. It is well documented by specialists of the Gospel of John that the narrative of the entire Gospel shows evidence of a theme that has been called the misunderstanding motif. Again, it is called the misunderstanding motif. What this misunderstanding motif refers to is the constant refrain throughout the entire Gospel of John where three things take place in this order. First, Jesus will say something to a dialogue partner or to partners that is provocative and significant. Second, the dialogue partner or partners interpret what Jesus has just said literally, often in ways that the reader of the Gospel of John immediately recognizes as a clear misunderstanding of what Jesus was intending to convey. In fact, sometimes the dialogue partner of Jesus interprets what is said so literally that it becomes utterly ridiculous. Third, the narrator, or Jesus himself, clarifies the original statement that was misunderstood, and it always, this is important, it always demonstrates that Jesus meant to be understood figuratively. So again, part one of this misunderstanding motif, Jesus says something significant. Part two, his dialogue partners interpret him literally. But part three, Jesus intended to be understood figuratively. This misunderstanding motif is a constant refrain throughout the Gospel of John, appearing over and over and over again. 
for us to read Jesus in these passages as if he is conveying something literally, particularly about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, is to make the same misunderstood mistake that his dialogue partners have made. This is why specialists of the Gospel of John call this the misunderstanding motif. In our present passage, Jesus invites his audience to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. This is a provocative and significant statement. As a reader, we can discern that there are Eucharistic overtones in this statement and that it would be a grave mistake to assume that Jesus intended to be understood literally. His audience, however, did make this mistake and assume that Jesus was speaking literally, and as a result, they were deeply offended at the suggestion. Of course, the partaking of Jesus' flesh and blood is to be understood figuratively. So let's move and talk about the Eucharistic overtones. The Eucharist, which is known to others as the Christian communion meal, involves the symbolic act of communing with the risen Jesus by sharing in food and drink that represent his flesh and blood. And by flesh in the communion meal, participants know that the flesh represents the entirety of Jesus' actual body. It represents the body of Jesus. This is not flesh in some sort of post-New Testament doctrine of two natures, where Jesus supposedly had a divine nature and a fleshly human nature. No, to partake of Jesus' flesh is to partake of his body, that is, the full being of Jesus. Now, most importantly for our study, Jesus expresses himself in this passage, in John chapter 6, as the Son of Man, the authorized human agent who reveals the only true God to the world. It is the body of the Son of Man that must be partaken of in order to gain this eternal life, the life of the age to come. The Gospel of John, and I must emphasize this strongly, frames the act of communion with Jesus through the sacrament of the Eucharist in terms of a human being, communing with the Son of Man. In other words, it is the acknowledgement of Jesus as an authorized human being that makes the act of communion take place. And the Gospel of John is quite clear that eternal life is linked to this communion with the human Jesus. Furthermore, Jesus emphasizes his humanity in the fullest terms. He speaks repeatedly of his flesh and his blood, things that all human beings have in common. In fact, the phrase flesh and blood 
in Scripture over and over refers to humanity in its mortal state without any qualification. Who is this bread of life that can offer eternal life to those who partake of him? For the Gospel of John, the answer is a human being. It is the Son of Man. Put differently, Jesus is not portrayed as some heavenly angel who took upon himself a human body, and neither is Jesus depicted here as God who assumed a human nature. What is being expressed in John chapter 6 is that Jesus is an authentic human being, one who is truly authorized as God's agent. And the offense taken by Jesus' audience has to do with the misunderstanding of the eating and drinking, not with the claim to being the human Son of Man. Of course, there is no claim by Jesus to being God in this passage. On the contrary, the emphasis is on Jesus as the Son of Man, the human agent of God. Our second point today is the Son of Man's flesh that the Word became. Now, the Greek noun sarx, from which we get our English word flesh, appears in the Gospel of John 13 times. And the majority of those occurrences in the Gospel of John appear in our present passage in John chapter 6. Clearly, the author wants to emphasize the fleshly humanity of Jesus in our present passage. Jesus, for the Gospel of John, was a real human being. Of course, the flesh of Jesus is a major doctrinal point for the Gospel of John. As John chapter 1 and verse 14 says that the Word became flesh. As a reminder, what the phrase the Word became flesh means is that God's personified speech, that is, God's creative and powerful speech, became embodied in the human Jesus at his birth. This Word was with God in the beginning, just as our words are naturally with us. But this Word, God's personified speech, came down from heaven and became flesh. It became the human Jesus. It is also important to note that the Word did not cease to exist once Jesus was born. It is not that the Word ceased to be once Jesus came out of the womb of his mother Mary. Rather, Jesus remains the embodied Word of God. In fact, one of the most emphasized roles of Jesus in the Gospel of John is that he is the authorized human being who speaks the Father's words and commands. It's nearly 
Every other chapter, Jesus is going around and claiming that his words are not actually his words. His words are the words that the Father told him to say. Jesus is the mouthpiece of God. He speaks the words of God. Clearly, the Gospel of John wants us to understand that the human Jesus remains the embodiment of the Word. He continues to function as the mouthpiece of God's Word during his earthly ministry. The personified Word did not cease to be at the birth of Jesus. Jesus still is the embodied Word. Just to make sure that I'm not misunderstood, I am not saying that Jesus came down from heaven. What actually came down from heaven was God's Word, God's Logos, which is God's personified speech. But Jesus as a man continues to function as the embodied Logos, as the embodied Word of God. And Jesus in the Gospel of John will often speak, as he does in our current passage, as coming down from heaven. But these statements are all qualified in that the human Jesus is the embodiment of God's Word. And that Word is a personification, not an actual person alongside the Father. You can look in the Old Testament and the Word appears over 1,400 times. And it never once, not in a single passage, indicates a conscious person alongside the Father in heaven. In other words, for Jesus to claim in our passage that he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven indicates that the human being Jesus is the current embodiment of the word that has come down out of heaven without suggesting that Jesus himself descended. Just as the manna actually descended from above, so too did God's logos, God's word. But the word, the personification, is what preexisted, not Jesus himself. Jesus can say that he has come down out of heaven because as a human being, he continues to be the word that has become flesh. And that word is what came down out of heaven, not Jesus. In our current text, Jesus makes it quite clear that he is a member of the human race. And it is stressed over and over with the references to his flesh and to the summons to partake of his blood. Jesus admits openly that he lives because of the Father. And the Greek text is clearer than our English in that Jesus has life as a direct result of the Father. In other words, without the Father, Jesus would not exist. Jesus is not claiming, therefore, to be someone who has eternally existed. He is claiming to be the person of flesh, 
just like every other human being, is flesh. But for the Gospel of John, the flesh of Jesus is what the Word became, as John chapter 1, verse 14 indicates. The human Jesus, which in our passage is the fleshly Son of Man, is the embodiment of God's personified Word. And I suggest that keeping this in mind is the preferable way of understanding that Jesus is the living bread that came down out of heaven. Our third point today is the Son of Man as the embodiment of wisdom. Now, it is the consensus of modern critical scholars of the fourth gospel that the narrative exhibits some manner of wisdom Christology. For those listeners who are unfamiliar with this term, I would highly recommend that you check out the previous episodes where I introduce wisdom Christology in Proverbs, and I trace it on into subsequent episodes through Sirach, through Philo, and on into the New Testament in the writings of Paul, the book of Hebrews, the Gospel of Matthew, and even in the Gospel of John. Briefly, wisdom Christology is the portrayal of Jesus as, in some sense, depicted in terms of God's wisdom. God's wisdom, as highlighted primarily in the book of Proverbs, also shows up in Psalms and Job. But in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is a personification, like the Word was a personification. Wisdom, in Proverbs, is likened unto God's laws and God's commandments. So, suggesting that God's commands are wise, and those who walk according to God's ways would be wise for doing so. In Proverbs, wisdom is also depicted as the personified agent of creation. God created the world through his wisdom. Proverbs 3.19. And this means that God created the world wisely and in order. Wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, is highly personified as a female figure. But wisdom is not an actual woman alongside God in heaven. That would be to confuse personifications and persons. They are not one and the same. For the writers of the New Testament, it was very common to depict Jesus, especially towards members of the synagogue, as the fulfillment and embodiment of God's wisdom. In fact, the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verse 14, could have said, and wisdom became flesh and it would have been understood in the same way as the Word became flesh. If Jews were interested in the wisdom of God, they would not find it in Torah or the commandments of Moses, but in the person, teachings, and promises of Jesus Christ, the human Messiah. 
This is what scholars call wisdom Christology, the act of portraying Jesus in terms of God's wisdom. But since wisdom in the Old Testament is often heavily personified, to say that Jesus is the human embodiment of wisdom is not to say that Jesus personally pre-existed with God as a female figure before his birth. The personified wisdom of God is what existed in heaven with the Father. And again, personifications are not real persons. I'm going to repeat that to make sure we're clear. Personifications are not real persons. Therefore, to depict Jesus as wisdom is not to argue for personal preexistence. Now, why does this matter with our current passage? It just so happens that there were some Jews, both prior to and after the composition of the Gospel of John, who regarded the manna from heaven, the bread that came down to feed the Israelites in the Exodus narrative, as, in some sense, wisdom. Yes, for these Second Temple Jewish authors, particularly the author of Wisdom of Solomon, but far more blatant in the writings of Philo, the nourishing food from heaven was to be understood as God's wisdom. Again, these Second Temple Jewish writers were interpreting the bread from heaven, the manna from heaven, as wisdom. So, if the Gospel of John was participating in this understanding that the bread of life, the manna from heaven, is to be regarded as wisdom, then the depiction of Jesus as the bread of life is actually further evidence for wisdom Christology. Let me offer a quote from Philo, who wrote at the beginning of the first century AD, to demonstrate how at least some Jews, prior to the Gospel of John, were understanding the bread slash manna from heaven. So this quote is from Philo's document called On the Changing of Names. And men occupied in agriculture cooperate to produce the food from the earth. But God, the only cause and giver, rains down the food from heaven without the cooperation of any other being. And indeed, we read in the scriptures, quote, Behold, I rain upon you bread from heaven, end quote. That's a citation from Exodus 16, verse 4. Philo continues, Now what nourishment can the scriptures properly say is rained down except heavenly wisdom? And again, that's Philo's document on the changing of names, verse 259. As you can see, Philo regards the nourishment of the bread that came down out of heaven to actually be God's heavenly wisdom. Of course, Philo is not saying that the human Jesus, the fleshly Son of Man, came down from heaven 
to the Israelites in the wilderness experience. He is stressing that the nourishment of the bread from heaven actually is found in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom from heaven, heavenly wisdom, as Philo writes. He is stressing that the nourishment of the bread from heaven actually is found in God's wisdom, likely in the wise commandments God gave to the Israelites through Moses on Sinai. However, if Philo and others were interpreting the manna from heaven as wisdom, and if John's Gospel already exhibits multiple signs of wisdom Christology, then it is quite possible that the depiction of Jesus as the bread of life is yet another example of wisdom Christology. I want to suggest to our listeners for their consideration that they take this proposal seriously. For Jesus to claim that he is the bread of life that has come down out of heaven, he would have been heard, at least by some readers, as a claim to be the human embodiment of God's heavenly wisdom. That is, God's wise ways of interacting with his creation. Unlike Philo, the Gospel of John would want the Jews to look to the Son of Man for wisdom, especially the wisdom that brings about eternal life. The wisdom that brings eternal life would not come from the Torah of Moses, as Philo suggested, or as Wisdom of Solomon suggests. For the Gospel of John, eternal life comes from a deep communion with the human being Jesus, the Son of Man. He, I contend, is the true embodiment of the wisdom of God, and the same wisdom that was interpreted as the bread slash manna from above. The result of regarding Jesus' depiction of the bread of life from heaven as wisdom Christology would further stress that the origins in heaven belong to a personification, to the personified wisdom, and not to Jesus himself. Just as Jesus is the embodiment of God's personified word, the fourth gospel portrays Jesus as the embodiment of God's personified wisdom. And, since word and wisdom are both personifications, they do not point to the literal preexistence of the Son of Man in the Gospel of John. Jesus, therefore, remains a human being, truly authorized by God as the spokesman of God's words and of God's wise ways of living. In conclusion, we have observed that the Gospel of John chapter 6 portrays the Son of Man as the bread of life. It is actually one of the most extended dialogues about the Son of Man and what the title actually means 
for the Gospel of John. We first noted that the Son of Man is an authentic human agent of the true God. As the Son of Man, Jesus is not depicted as also being divine. Jesus is a man with flesh and blood. And the deep communion with Jesus as a human being with flesh and blood is emphasized in Eucharistic terms with the result of eternal life. For the Gospel of John, those who are interested in eternal life that Jesus offers must be deeply devoted to the humanity of Jesus, to Jesus as the Son of Man. Second, we observed that repeated stress on the flesh of Jesus in John chapter 6 recalled the statement in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh. So, the fleshly Son of Man is the embodiment of God's personified speech. Not only does this qualify Jesus as an authorized agent of God, speaking the commands of God, but it also helps explain how Jesus can claim that his flesh is the bread of life that has come down out of heaven. The Gospel of John can say that Jesus' flesh came down from above because he is the embodiment of the Word. And that personified Word came down from heaven and became the human Jesus at his birth. For the fourth Gospel, the fleshly Son of Man continues to function as the Word, speaking the authorized commands of God and offering the Father's eternal life. Lastly, we noted that the depiction of the Son of Man as the bread of life fit into what some Jews were saying about wisdom being the bread of life. This suggests another emphasis of wisdom Christology in the Gospel of John by regarding Jesus as the human embodiment of God's wisdom. And since wisdom is a personification, this heightens the role of the human Son of Man without saying that he actually pre-existed in heaven alongside God. The Gospel of John presents Jesus as a human being, as the Son of Man, who is the embodiment of God's Word and God's wisdom. And this makes Jesus the most authorized human being ever to exist. Next to God, Jesus is the most exalted member of creation in the existence of God's creation. And this is certainly worthy of being classified as high human Christology. But it does not fit well with an angelic Christology an Arian Christology, or a Trinitarian framework. John chapter 6 emphasizes that Jesus is the Son of Man, an authentic, fleshly human being. 
Join us next week as we continue our multi-part study of the Gospel of John in regard to its portrayal of Jesus as the Son of Man. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us. You may check out this episode's description for a way to donate. Thank you so much for listening to us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.